Well, good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, and we're coming to you over EWTN Radio. This program, each week, I invite a guest to join me to choose a scripture that was an important, uh, significant scripture in their own journey, either drawing them close to Jesus Christ or all the way into his church. And I'd say usually it's it's both, uh, because what we often find is that we may be familiar with the Bible, and all of a sudden somebody points out a scripture text that we either ignored or didn't notice or interpreted in a different way, and then all of a sudden we begin to recognize, wait a second, wait a second, that verse doesn't say what I thought it said. We may not like, in fact, where it's leading us, and often, for some of us, it led us into the Catholic Church, which was something that we had not anticipated. I think that might be true of our guest today, Father Gray Bean. Father Bean was, as if you if you go to the deepinscripture.com website, it has his bio there, but for those of you that don't have that access, I'll read it now. He was a former Baptist minister, and I'm quite sure it wasn't on his screen to think about the Catholic Church, and but after prayer and study, he felt God was calling him into the Catholic Church. After being received into the church, he re- experienced another call, this time to the priesthood, and was ordained a Catholic priest in 2003. Father Bean currently serves as pastor at St. James Catholic Church in Gadsden, Alabama. And Father Bean has appeared several times on the Journey Home program. He was, uh, besides his, his individual appearance, he also he appeared on the panel that the roundtable in which we had a number of former Baptists talk about the differences between the Baptist faith and the Catholic Church, and both the roundtable as well as Father Bean's first appearance on the Journey Home you can access if you go to EWTN.com and all the archived Journey Home programs are there. Also on the Deep in Scripture website is a link to his conversion story if you want to read in more detail. And as I've mentioned in the past, you can watch this program live on the Internet. We'd love to have your phone call or email. If you call us, uh, we'll take your question, and, then, and if we can't answer it on air, you can call us at 800-664-5110. You can also call us at the regular Coming Home Network phone number, 740-450-1175, or you can send me an email at marcus at deepinscripture.com. Father Bean has a number of scriptures that were significant to him, and I'm going to read all three of them, and then after the break, we'll, we'll just see how time goes and which of them uh, we'll cover. All three, each of them, in a sense, cover a different aspect of theology that is different between what a Baptist believes and what a Catholic believes, both from the Bible. They're all from the Word of God, but there's a significance in, and we'll talk about this, how they are either interpreted or ignored, uh, particularly from Father Bean's Baptist background. The first comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. And this is St. Paul writing. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and another man is building upon it. Let each man take care how he builds upon it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, 
each man's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work which any man has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. The second verse that Father Bean chose comes from John chapter 3, verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the land of Judea. There he remained with them and baptized. And then finally, John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. Next time on The Journey Home, join Marcus for a special open line when he talks with former Assemblies of God minister Tim Staples. He'll take your calls and answer your questions about his journey home to the Catholic Church. That's on the next Journey Home, only on EWTN. The Journey Home is seen and heard around the world on EWTN. For dates and times in your area, log on to EWTN.com. If you enjoy the Journey Home television program on EWTN, you'll want to purchase a copy of Marcus Gerdeis' book, Journey's Home. Journey's Home contains the conversion stories of men and women who, as a result of their surrender to Jesus Christ, heard a call to follow him more completely in the Catholic Church. Many of them were Protestant pastors or missionaries. Others were laymen who, though working in secular jobs, took their calling to serve Christ in the world very seriously. To order your copy of Marcus Grodite's book, Journey's Home, simply visit our website at www.chresources.com or call us toll-free at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi. I'll be joined today in a moment with Father Bean, but I want to also mention that tomorrow on Catholic Answers Live with Patrick Coffin, for the first hour, Catholic apologist John Martignoni discusses scriptural apologetics, and then for the second hour, EWTN's host of Faith and Culture, Colleen Carol Campbell, will keep us informed about the church in the news. So be sure to tune in tomorrow at 6 p.m. Eastern Time for Catholic Answers answers live good afternoon father bean good afternoon marcus it is great to have you on the program thanks so much i know you're busy and uh, you're serving you're you're, uh, just the audience uh, knows where you're coming to us from you're you're really serving in a very rural parish area in alabama is that correct that's right northeast alabama 
Um, there's one Catholic church in, in the county here. We're in Etowah County, Alabama, and our parish covers about a three-county area. Wow. Uh, but we're the only uh, Catholic church in that entire area, so it's really mission territory mm-hmm. here. Uh, is this similar to the area that you uh, served as a pastor when you were a Baptist minister? No, actually, as a Baptist uh, minister, I was in Birmingham, which is uh, more urban mm-hmm. and um, much bigger, of course, uh, congregation there, and um, more in the majority religion here, you could say. Uh, <laughs> we, Whereas here, um, well, as I said to you earlier, um, you have to eat your Wheaties here to be a Catholic. It's, <laughs> it's a challenge sometimes, but it's 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 a good challenge. It keeps you on your toes, keeps you close to God's Word, keeps you in prayer, and it's good to, it's good to have uh, conversations with our brothers and sisters in Christ from the other traditions mm-hmm. within Christianity. Is it would would you find that the 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 non-Catholic population around you would they be uh, probably less of the um, more traditional Reformed Protestant groups as opposed to maybe the newer, more independent Protestant groups? Yeah, here in this area we have lots of independent groups. Uh, mm-hmm. The largest congregations in town tend to be the newer uh, churches that, are, that identify themselves as non-denominational. Sometimes they call themselves Bible churches. Even though we do have some large denominational churches, the Methodist Church here is quite large. Um, but the, uh, the the biggest congregation to, in, congregations in town, as far as Protestantism, would be the more independent yeah. uh, churches. And so you find in those, I'm sure, Father, that not only is there, a, you know, maybe a, a lack of understanding of the Catholic faith, and maybe that the old black myths still floating mm-hmm, around, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but also a great variety of interpretation of Scripture anyway. That's right. And kind of a general distrust of what they would term organized religion. Yeah, okay. All right. Uh, by the Spirit, right? The, right? Guided by the Spirit. All right. Now, 1 Corinthians three ten through 15. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, how did you deal with this as a Baptist minister? Well, <laughs> I didn't deal with it at all. Um, we, of course, believed in eternal security, the doctrine of eternal security, which basically is sometimes explained by saying once saved, always saved. In other words, once a person uh, who had reached the age of reason made uh, made a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior, then that person received uh, salvation, and it was a done deal. Salvation was not anything that you could lose. Um, yeah, uh, and, uh, and uh, I, I'm a little flustered. I lost you for a second. My, my headphones got disconnected, but we're all right now. <laughs> Sorry, Father. Yeah, I, I was just saying that. We, I didn't want to we, duplicate. We, we you believed said. in the doctrine of eternal security: once saved, always saved. A person of the age of reason uh, who may, who had made a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ uh, was saved at that moment in time, and that could never be undone. And I, I just want to add to that because I was assuming that's is that that's what I taught, which is funny because um, you know you're a Baptist. Right. I was a Presbyterian, mm-hmm. and not all Presbyterians 
um, believe that. You know, I mean, there's branches of Presbyterianism. Did all Baptists believe that? No, not all Baptists do. There's a branch of the Baptists that are called free will Baptists, who believe that a person can fall away from God's grace and be lost. I was a Southern Baptist, which is the largest group of of Baptists, the Southern Baptist Convention. People may have heard of that. Um, but there are groups of Baptists who don't believe in eternal security, but most Baptists, I would say, do, uh, the majority of Baptists anyway. And I think because of Billy Graham and others that have very much uh, emphasized that particular theology, it's, it's spread and been accepted, especially these independent, non-denominational churches that are disconnected from the Reformation. That's right. They just assumed, of course, everybody believes that. So there you are as a Baptist minister in 1 Corinthians three ten through 15. I mean, did you, did you even make it try and fit? No, I actually don't even remember ever struggling much with this scripture until I began my study of the Catholic faith. And one of the things that I looked at, of course, closely was the doctrine of purgatory, which was a sticking point for me, uh, coming from a, from a strict uh, Baptist tradition. And this is one of the scriptures that I was steered to, towards by a good, holy uh, Catholic friend of mine. And I really didn't know what to make of it. Mm-hmm. Um, because here's a passage of scripture that clearly says that um, a person will undergo, this is a person of faith, who will undergo a purification before they're allowed to enter into heaven. And I didn't know what to make of that. Mm-hmm. A lot of it has to do with the difference between the idea of, uh, in the, in the, uh, in the, in the uh, Baptist tradition, we believe that a person was covered with the blood of Christ, but that there wasn't really a change there. Right, okay. And whereas in the Catholic Church, we believe in regeneration of the person, that, that the person is actually made holy, is sanctified. And uh, the way I explain it to my children is, um, as a Protestant, I believe that I would spend all of eternity hiding behind Jesus, yep. hoping the Father would notice <laughs> that I was still a man. I hadn't even thought about it that way. I was more of the ilk that... For some reason, you know, I believed as a Presbyterian the same thing you just said, that you're covered externally with the grace of Christ, the righteousness of Jesus. I point to him. But somehow I believed that when I finally entered into heaven, all that was gone and I'm new again. Yeah. But nothing happened on this side of the entrance into the pearly gates. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, you read this scripture in in 1 Corinthians 3, where Paul clearly teaches that uh, this is the day of judgment, of course, in verse 13. He says the, the day will disclose the works of each person. Yeah. The, and in my, in my tradition, or in my translation that I'm using, day is with a capital D. <laughs> right. And it's obviously the great day of Yahweh, the day of judgment. Um, and here is the day of judgment, the end. And each person is going to be judged according to their works, which is was a little problematic for me as a Baptist as well. Right. And not only that, but that there would be a purification after death, which we, of course, would have thought is the, is, is the most terrible form of heresy, you know, that uh, if a person is saved, then they're saved. There's no need for purification after death. Yep. And yet here is St. Paul who says clearly that there will be a need for some people to be purified after uh, death and that it will be painful. That one will suffer loss, Paul says, though 
he will be saved, but only as through fire. And in my tradition, the only, the only fire uh, after mm-hmm. earthly life was the fire of hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't think of uh, there being any other form of fire, but of course, as we know, fire can either destroy, but it can also purify. Yep. And this whole idea of being purified after death was something that helped me see the, um, the logic behind the Catholic idea of purgatory, and really it's common sense. Uh, I don't think there's anyone on earth who would say that they're ready to stand in the presence of God, mm-hmm. uh, as they are right now. Yeah. And um, so to me, this passage really opened the door for me to see the need for purgatory, the need for some form of purification after death. Yeah, and it's, you know, the grace of it, because, you know, one day um, we're going to stand before God. Absolutely. And what this enables a person to be is to be, um, for example, in the the end of chapter 2 of 1 John, when he writes, And now little children abide in him, so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Absolutely. That's what this is all about. Absolutely. Um, So we're not just, like you said, hiding behind Jesus. For all of eternity. Yeah. Hoping the Father doesn't notice that we're still a terrible mess. Uh, John Henry Newman, Cardinal Newman, blessed Cardinal Newman now, thank God, Uh um, has a beautiful uh, sermon uh, entitled, Why Holiness is Required to Enter into Heaven. And the point that Newman makes is that a person who is not purified of all self-love will be miserable in heaven. It will be a painful experience for that soul, um, because heaven will be all about God and not about the self. And uh, it's a most uh, beautiful sermon. It's found in his volume of parochial and plain sermons, written, of course, I think, when he was still an Anglican, oddly enough. Uh, but it's one of the most beautiful ways of thinking about it, that we, we really must be purified of all yeah. self-love to enjoy the beatific vision. Just as you mentioned that, I'm going to tell the audience that what we're going to try and do later, I'd really love the audience to follow up on that. So if I can get a link to that, I'll add it to our website so they can actually read that sermon, because that's 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 the point. I, If you would, Father, back in verse 14, mm-hmm. If the work which any man has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. From a Baptist perspective, there's two things in there. I'm wondering, again, what? first of all, what did you see as a Baptist and now as a Catholic? Works and rewards. Jesus talked about rewards in the Sermon on the Mount. That's right. Did you deal with the reward, rewards, or was that just salvation, period? One of, the, one of the things that, that I had always, and I remember being told this as a child, it really didn't come out so much in my study when I, when I was in the Baptist seminary, I had always been told that uh, you can't lose your salvation by things that you do here on earth, but you can lose rewards in heaven. And I always remember being told that. Uh, in sort of a childish way, I remember once being told, well, you won't have as many jewels in your crown. <laughs> um, you won't, um, you know, maybe your mansion won't be as large as someone else's in heaven. And I remember being told that as a child, that you could lose your reward in heaven, even though you couldn't lose your salvation. And uh, that's kind of a childish way to think of it. But, but indeed, I think that's how it was explained to me. 
Um, Let's bring that into the Catholic Church because, interestingly enough, just the way you described it, if put within the right context, is how we understand things as Catholics. Absolutely. Um, Because once you've entered purgatory, you can't lose your salvation. That's right. It's a done deal. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's, interestingly enough, I discovered in some research I was doing that the American Unitarians, mm-hmm. Universalists, the reason they went to Universalism is because they could not understand how a merciful father would allow people to be punished eternally for a temporal sin. Right, right. So what they did is they said there is no hell. But people go to hell until the penalty of their sin is paid and then they enter heaven. Mm -hmm. What they did is they made hell into purgatory. Absolutely. Reinvented the wheel. Yep. Yep. That was already there. From a Catholic perspective, how do we understand rewards? Well, it depends on, uh, you know, if you read some of the, um, if you read from the spiritual tradition of the Catholic faith, there seems to be an indication that not everyone will experience the beatific vision in the same way. And that uh, a soul which has the greatest capacity for love will experience the beatific vision most intensely. In fact, this was a teaching, I think, of the Council of Florence. Mm -hmm. If uh, those of you who got the Internet want to search the old Catholic encyclopedia, you can find that this was actually a doctrine of the Council of Florence. How we respond in this life by grace in love has an effect on how we will spend eternity. Absolutely. And Father, you and I weren't brought up Catholic, but I heard the old nuns used to talk about that some people get a bucket full and some people get a thimble full, but they'll both be happy. Absolutely. Absolutely. But it won't be, you know, it's how we live this life, in which is, I mean, this is why, isn't it true, Father, there you are in, in a rural era with lots of non-Catholics around you, but this is why you're called in evangelization to reach out to those around you because they need the graces for the fullness of the beatific vision. Most assuredly. And um, the, the difficulty, of course, with, with the doctrine that, that so many of these churches hold is that it takes the responsibility the personal responsibility for our Christianity away from us. Yeah. Um, it, it, it re- I, sometimes I refer to it, and maybe this isn't very charitable, but I say Christianity for sissies. Uh, because you don't, it's not on you at all. Nothing is on you, and, and you just sort of coast through life. Now, I don't know anyone who actually does that. Let me, right. let me just say that. Most, most of the Protestant Christians that I know are, they, they have many, many good works, and are certainly in God's Word, and people of great prayer, and people of charity. But to, to think that that doesn't matter, mm-hmm. well, the, I think the Scripture seems to indicate that it does matter, and that it is important. It is important. In fact, I'm going to read another verse. This is not one that you quoted here, but it's one of those verses that I didn't see, and I'd like to have your reflection on this, on how you would have dealt with this passage as a Baptist and then now as a Catholic. It comes from Romans chapter 11, I'll begin reading verse 20 through 22. It has to do with what we've just talked about, because Paul is talking about the fact that what about the Jews and what about the Gentiles? Mm-hmm. And he says that they were broken off because of their unbelief, 
but you stand fast only through faith. So do not become proud, but stand in awe or fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. Yeah. It's a difficult scripture. I mean, how did, did you deal it, with that as it, a Baptist, it's, or did you ignore it's it? It's a difficult scripture for once saved, always saved. Yeah. Um, and, of course, there are also many, many uh, words that are placed on the lips of Jesus in the Gospels. Matthew mm-hmm. uh, uh, seven twenty one. not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Right. Matthew twenty four thirteen. only those who persevere to the end yeah. will be saved. And uh, there you just quoted Romans 11, but we also might point people towards Philippians 2.12, which is one of my favorite verses of Scripture. Work out your salvation yep. in fear and trembling. And then uh, St. Paul's beautiful analogy of the uh, athlete, 1 Corinthians 9, 27, uh, that we, he, he uh, enjoins us to drive our body for fear of being disqualified. Um, And so again and again in the Scripture, and this is one of the things that changed my my thinking on this, is when I I seriously began to look at the Scriptures and what the Scriptures actually say, as opposed to what I had been told my whole life, I began to see that the tradition that I had been given, really orally, Mm -hmm. didn't line up with what the Scripture said in plain language. And this was one of the things that eventually caused my move uh, yeah. in the direction of the Catholic faith. Uh, you know something, Father, I was going to ask you on this, uh, and of course no one's listening to it, it's just you and me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, the one thing I found in our work with converts is that um, it's one thing when you make the tr- you, you discover this, as you've said, you see the reality of this teaching, uh, and you see the, the the real falsehood of the eternal security teaching. Yeah. But when you've believed it most of your life, very difficult. And you come into the church, and you recognize the the more correct understanding. It's it's sometimes hard to make that transition. It is. But how you understand? You know, I remember once uh, Billy Graham, who I, I don't think there's a, a, a non-Catholic in the world I have more respect for than Billy Graham. Absolutely. On TV one time he said, if I die tonight, I'm no, I know I'm going to heaven. Well, well, what do Catholics, how do we respond to that question? In other words, if you died tonight, Father, what about your thought about heaven? How would you change that differently than the way you used to think as a Baptist? I, I would I would say what St. Paul says, which is that I hope for salvation, and that I do not hope for something that I have already attained. Mm-hmm. Um, and therein lies the difference. Um, the way I teach my people about salvation is when we are asked, have you been saved? The answer is yes, yes, and yes. Uh, yes, I have been saved. It is a past event. Yes, I am being saved. It is a present process. And yes, I will be saved when I arrive in heaven. And so it's it's not so much a day and the hour thing. You know, I remember on January 14th, 1971, I was saved. Uh, for Catholics, it's a process of salvation. 
that takes an entire life. And that gives meaning to our human life here on earth. That's why God gives us life, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Um, Another passage of Scripture that's very powerful is also found in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 and 27 where the scripture says if we sin deliberately after receiving knowledge of the truth there no longer remains sacrifice for sins but a fearful prospect of judgment and a flaming fire that is going to consume the adversaries wow. yeah that's, wow it's pretty, pretty strong <laughs> yeah. and he's writing to christians i mean that's so right. it, absolutely. he's not writing to the lost he's writing to christians absolutely all right father let's take a break when we come okay. back Uh, We'll look at the John 3 passage, a little bit different theme. Mm -hmm. And let me also note to the audience that uh, uh, my staff is so quick that the link to Newman's sermon on holiness is already there on the website if you want to click it. So we'll see a bit after the break. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grote. I am joined by Father Gray Bean, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. Next time on EWTN Live, join Father Mitch as he welcomes Father Calvin Goodwin and Deacon Ron Lillard to discuss the dedication of their new seminary chapel. That's on the next EWTN Live. EWTN Live with Father Mitch Pacwa is seen and heard around the world. For dates and times in your area, log on to EWTN.com. Follow the compelling journey of one man who became a Church of Christ minister and found himself entering the Catholic Church. Bruce Sullivan shares his conversion story in his new book titled Christ in His Fullness. In this book, he communicates a passionate love for Christ and the inexhaustible treasures of grace found in the Catholic Church. Perhaps you, too, will discover the same riches in the fullness of Christ. To order a copy of this book for yourself or a friend, please visit our website, www.chnetwork.org or call us at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi. I'm joined today by Father Gray Bean. And I just want to remind you that tomorrow, Thursday evening on Life on the Rock with Doug Berry and Father Mark, they'll be talking with Father Leo Patalinghug to the, uh, inviting him to the Rock House to talk about cooking. So you want to tune in tomorrow at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Father Bean, what about that next passage? Let me read it. It's so short, John 3:22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the land of Judea. There he remained with them and baptized. What's the big deal about this passage? Well. The idea of baptism in the tradition I grew up in, the Southern Baptist tradition, we did not believe that baptism was strictly necessary for salvation. It was a symbolic act. It was a way of showing the, uh, the publicly the inner workings of God's grace that had saved the person in the act of salvation. And so it was more of a public profession of faith, the reception of baptism. There was no baptismal regeneration, which is what we believe as Catholics, nor was it even strictly necessary for salvation. And John 3, of course, is a very powerful passage that um, 
Catholics sometimes use to point to the necessity of baptism. Um, but the way it had been explained to me as a Baptist was, of course, that when, in Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus in John's Gospel, chapter 3, Jesus was not speaking of baptism. Um, and so this verse 22 sets what went before it in the chapter into a completely different context. Jesus comes to Nicodemus, or Nicodemus rather, comes to Jesus at night and is seeking essentially uh, spiritual advice from Jesus. And Jesus says, no one can come, can see the kingdom of God without being born from above, or sometimes some translation reads, being born again. And then in verse 5 of John, John 3, Jesus says, I say to you truly, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Now, as a Baptist, we believed that that referred to, of course, just being saved, the, the salvation experience, accepting Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, making a profession of faith. Um, and the only explanation I had been told of water was, of course, that perhaps that referred to the natural birth of the person, the birth of, a, when the, I suppose, when the, the amniotic fluid of the mother is the way it had been explained to me. Now... And that Jesus is not speaking of baptism in John's Gospel, chapter 3. The difficulty is when you get past all of this conversation with Nicodemus, including the famous John 3.16, mm-hmm. when Jesus leaves Nicodemus, what does he do? And that's John 3.22. After he has this conversation with, G- with Nicodemus in which he says, you must be born of water and the Spirit if you will enter the kingdom of God, the Bible says, after this... Jesus and his disciples went into the region of Judea, where he spent some time with them, baptizing. To me, this sets the entire chapter in the proper context. It becomes clear that Jesus is speaking of baptism when he's talking to Nicodemus, because he goes right out and begins to perform baptisms himself. And to me, I don't know how I had missed yeah. that verse. I, the context. I, I had certainly read John's Gospel many times, and, but I had never noticed that Jesus immediately leaves Nicodemus and goes out and begins to perform baptisms. And to me, I think mm-hmm. that's a very telling verse. Yeah. And, and especially if... And again, uh, Father, it's, if we look to both of our backgrounds, when, when you're brought up in a tradition... You trust that tradition. Absolutely. And you don't, and the, and the good folk that bring you to Jesus and, mm-hmm. and invited you down and you said the prayers with them, and, and you, you trust them. Right. And the danger is that, well, they too were brought up in the soup of a tradition, trusted their teachers, and never questioned it. That's right. And, uh, I mean, that's probably how you would describe your upbringing, too. Uh, Absolutely. And if you're not looking to question yep. it, then you don't always notice these verses in the Scripture. Uh, you either read over them or you uh, interpret them in a different way. Uh, and sometimes you have to do some very interesting uh, linguistical uh, gymnastics yeah. <laughs> to, to interpret some of these scriptures in other ways. But it, it was really my interest in historical Christianity and the doctrines of historical Christianity that caused me to go back to the scripture and look at it uh, yeah. with a different pair of glasses, so to speak. Yeah, and when you look at both the books of Ephesians and Colossians, mm-hmm. um, the only thing that makes sense of what 
this passage that you just quoted in that whole context of John 3 to connect it is again with baptism. And let me read verses from Colossians and Ephesians. And again, I'd love for you to Given what you've just said about John 3, you know, how did you hear these verses as a Baptist? And then now, how do we understand them as a Catholic? Ephesians 1, verse 13 and 14. In him you also who have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and have believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. I mean, how did you preach that verse as a Baptist? Well, there and again, we would have said that uh, St. Paul is referring to the salvation experience. Yeah. Um, the, the moment when a person receives Jesus as their uh, personal Lord and Savior, and uh, that's the reference there that he's making. Um, yeah, being sealed with the promise mm-hmm. of the Holy Spirit is, you would have said it's something that happens at the moment you... The moment of salvation. That you surrender to Jesus. That's right. You surrender your life to Jesus. He forgives your sins, and you receive the Holy Spirit at that moment. And, and you are sealed by the Spirit at, at that moment. Um, because the difficulty, of course, was uh, to say that a person is saved by baptism would be to say that a person is saved by a human work okay. or a human act. Now, of course, one could also say that a profession of faith is a work. Sure. Well, <laughs> it, it is. It's, it's definitely a human act. And so there's a difficulty there. But when you begin to look at Scripture uh, closely, you begin to realize that there are many, many passages of, passages of Scripture that refer to the regenerative nature of baptism. Yeah. Um, not only John chapter 3, which we've just mentioned, but also Titus chapter 3, mm-hmm. verse 5, which is um, a very, very interesting uh, Scripture. Let me just turn to that okay. and read it to you. Titus, uh, chapter number 3, verse 5. All right. All right. It says, um, I'll start with verse 4, actually. Okay. All right. But when the kindness of and generous love of God, our Savior, appeared, not because of any righteous deeds we had done, but because of his mercy, he saved us through the bath of rebirth and the renewal of of the Holy Spirit, whom he richly poured out on us through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that we might be justified by his grace and become heirs of heirs in hope of eternal life. Isn't that interesting? Oh, yeah. To Titus, a bath of rebirth yep. and renewal by the Holy Spirit, which also leads you right into um, a beautiful little uh, passage uh, from First Peter chapter three. Oh, of course, right. Yeah, which is also. Um, In fact, I've got that, and I'll go ahead and read it yeah. while you reflect. Beginning with verse two, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a clear conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has come into heaven and is at the right hand of the Father with angels, authorities, and powers subject to Him. Absolutely. Now, that last passage you read in Titus also tied together that hope of eternal life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Again, it's not this guarantee, uh, regardless of how you live the rest of your life, he's saying it's uh, that we might be justified by his grace and become heirs in hope of eternal life. But there's a connection with baptism. Right. 
Let me also throw another verse at you, and I hope your audience, the audience is enjoying all these passages, and I'm hoping we're challenging a few folk. Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, you were buried with him in baptism, mm-hmm. in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. How do you deal with that as a Baptist? Oh, boy, there you go. Um, <laughs> the funny thing about it is I recall at certain times uh, when a person, when we would baptize in our tradition, we would oftentimes quote the passage of Scripture, buried with Christ in baptism, raised with him to yeah. everlasting life. <laughs> but there and again, we simply believed that baptism was only a public profession of something that had already happened. Uh, it didn't actually do anything to you. And I'm wondering if it's because back as a result of Luther's changes, and then even more so John Calvin's changes, right. and then the Anabaptist changes, where it diminished that there was any power in the priesthood. Yeah. One of the things I've realized, Marcus, as I've uh, continued in my uh in my priesthood here, in, in having discussions with, with my Protestant brothers and sisters and other pastors in our ministerial association here, mm-hmm. is that many times tradition, uh, many of the Protestant traditions simply rejected doctrines, not because they were true, but because they were Catholic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes that led into some really insane directions. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, very, very, very... Uh, well, it was often based on misunderstandings of what the Catholics really mean. And right. so they, again, reacted even more so. Yeah, it was a reactionary uh, yeah. way of thinking. One of, the, one of the passages of Scripture concerning baptism, of course, that, that, that always bothered me as a Baptist, and I never really understood what to do with it, was at the end of Mark's Gospel, chapter 16. The last yeah. words that Jesus... Uh, says to his apostles and uh, the eleven uh, there before he, is, before he ascends to heaven, he said to them, this is uh, John, Mark's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 15 mm-hmm. and following, he said to them, go into the whole world and proclaim the gospel to every creature. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. Very, very uh, pointed there. Yes. Whoever believes and is baptized and um, I, 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 that that one always bothered me a little. <laughs> I think the the actually the verse on this baptism issue that most struck me when I was coming into the Catholic Church from Presbyterianism, where we definitely baptized infants, mm-hmm. but sometimes even as a pastor, if I called it baptism or christenum, christening. I kind of was based on where the parents were coming from. Right. You, you know, I mean, I, I felt, because I really didn't believe anything was happening. But the verse that most got me was that Acts passage when, remember, Peter preaches his first sermon, and then the congregation who had been slain uh, because his preaching was so great. I was right. just, I'm referring back to when you were a preacher, you know, and people were just kind of falling all over Absolutely. the place. You know, they're coming forward and they're <laughs> saying, Pastor, what do I do? What should we do? And Peter did not say, accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. No. Repent, be baptized, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Repent, Baptism is right there. Be baptized and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And a similar situation in Acts 22. Uh, where yeah. the advice is given. Get yourself baptized and have your sins 
washed away. Like I mentioned, both these topics we've looked at, one was the issue of purgatory, and then here we have the issue of baptism. I think one of the issues, of course, is doubting the authority of the Holy of the Church right. to uh, have to be a channel of grace, to, or or at least a reservoir of grace, as mm-hmm. as Saint Benedict would say. Mm-hmm. And then here we got John, that again, the priesthood and the church uh, are not necessary. It's just me and Jesus, right. and, and baptism is nothing more than a visible sign. I mean, that's why we took it because Protestants are doubting the authority of priesthood. John twenty. Yeah. is full of the authority of priesthood. And we're going to take a break, Father, when we come back. Let's look at that passage. Okay. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined by Father Gray Bean, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. The Coming Home Network International is a non-profit Catholic lay apostolate dedicated to helping Protestant clergy and laity come home to the Catholic Church. It was founded by Marcus Grodi, the host of this program, as well as the Journey Home television program on EWTN. If you are on the journey and interested in learning more about the Coming Home Network International or know someone who's thinking of becoming Catholic, please visit our website, www.chnetwork.org, or contact us at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grode. I am joined by Father Gray Bean. I want to remind you that next week on Deep in Scripture, our guest will be Catholic evangelist Richard Lane. So be sure to tune in then. All right, Father Bean, John 20. Let me tell you, I didn't ignore this when I was a Protestant minister. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I preached this passage. But here's what I preached, beginning with verse, or ending with verse 22. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. So in other words, I was moving in the charismatic direction. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so I heard what John 22 said. But 23 wasn't there. Some Catholics snuck in and put that in my Bible. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that something? What do you do with 23 as a, as a Baptist well, minister? Well, I ignored it, of course. Um, I, ne- I would have never uh, preached on this because I really wouldn't have known what to have said. Um, Were you hoping that maybe it was a bad Greek translation? I did at times. I did at times. Uh, ignore it. Maybe it'll go away. Um, well, one of the one of the interesting things in this passage is in this passage, John twenty nineteen through twenty three, we also see the mission of the church here yeah. Yeah. in this appearance of Jesus. Because uh, Jesus, he of course says, "Peace be with you." Then he says to them, "As the Father has sent me, so I send you." Mm-hmm. The question, of course, is, well, what did the Father send Jesus to do? Well. Jesus was sent to take away the sins of the world. And so as the Father sent Jesus to take away the sins of the world, so Jesus is sending the apostles into the world on that same mission, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And then he gives them the power to do that. Mm -hmm. Receive the Holy Spirit. The power doesn't come from, from the man. The power comes from God. 
Receive the Holy Spirit whose sins you forgive are forgiven them and whose sins you retain are retained. And to me, it's a very powerful scripture when it's given uh, its full meaning uh, to try and water it down and say, well, we're just supposed to go out and talk to people and tell people that, well, God will forgive you. Uh, That's a good thing. We should do that. But the full import of this scripture, the, the sending of Jesus, of these men, into the world by the power of the Holy Spirit to forgive sin. And the, and the difficulty with, with, this, with, with, with this verse, one of the difficulties I had as a Protestant was the last part, whose sins you retain yeah. are retained. That was the yeah. difficulty. Yeah. Because I believed as a Baptist that I, could, that, that, that I could, through the Holy Spirit, lead a person to the forgiveness of their sins. Mm-hmm. But what does this mean, whose sins you retain are retained? And, of course, when you, yeah. for this, when you go outside of the Scriptures and begin to read the history of the early Church, the practices of the early Church, which involved public penances at times, uh, you begin to see how this played out in early Christianity, and it leads you directly to what today we would call the Sacrament of Reconciliation. Mm-hmm. Last night I was um, uh, helping out with... Um, uh, fundraising for a Catholic radio station in Oklahoma, a very fine Catholic radio program there, which if you know any of you listening, I want to make sure you, you always are supporting your local Catholic radio, uh, as well as EWTN, of course. But on that, during that time, I got a call from uh, a local non-Catholic, and very charitable call, And but he was saying, you know, I've always just believed that if I do something wrong, all I got to do is say, Jesus, I'm, I'm sorry, forgive me. And then I'm forgiven. Uh, and he said he didn't understand the uh, Catholic view on the necessity of priesthoods. And we talked about that. But one of the questions I put for him is, and I want you to ask this, answer this, Father, from your background. Okay. From a Protestant perspective, I did something wrong. I recognize it. I turn to God. I'm sorry. The question is, how can you know that you're forgiven? Right. I mean, if you were asked that to, as a Baptist, what would you have said? How can you know that you sometimes did something really, really nasty that you don't want to tell anybody else in the world, but you tell God, I'm sorry, and then how can you know you're forgiven? Yeah, well, what I would have said as a Baptist, of course, is I would have quoted 1 John 1, 9. Mm-hmm. If we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I would have said it's a matter of faith that I believe in faith, on the authority of the Word of God, that my sins are forgiven. So in that sense, there is not a sin that a person could commit in the entire world and not just then turn to Jesus and then be forgiven. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And and the danger of that is a never feeling a need to not sin. Yeah, and also there's a certain accountability there that is missing. Um, because w- we are all susceptible to self-deception. Mm-hmm. And one of the beauties of confession is it allows us to sit down and examine our conscience and then go to another person who we hope will be a man of prayer who will be able to help guide us in the right direction, because I know myself I'm susceptible to self-deceptions, my little pettiness, my, my, my pet sins that I don't want to get rid of, that sometimes I make excuses. Uh, whereas when I go to my confessor, and I'm blessed to have a good confessor, uh, he doesn't let me off. 
yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he points that out to me. The other thing about confession is not only does my re- the sin affect my relationship with God, it also affects my relationship with the church. Mm-hmm. As a member of the body of Christ, St. Paul says, when one suffers, we all suffer. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. And so, therefore, by going to the church, I am not only healing that relationship with God, but I'm healing that uh, wound that is within, that has been inflicted upon the body of Christ, the church, by my sinfulness, yeah. by my yeah. selfishness. This verse has an, a, an interesting edge that I'd like you to explain, Father, because it's saying, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. And in essence, this is a a reflection of what Jesus had already said back in Matthew 16, 18, when he gave the powers to loose and bind. That's right, that's right. But here's what's interesting. It's not as if you're sitting in the box, right, and I come up and I talk in the window and I say that I just uh, robbed the bank down the corner, Lord, uh, Father, forgive me. And so then you're in there with your crystal ball. That's right. And you're checking out to see whether God forgave me or not. No. And then once you determine whether God forgave me, then you tell me, yes, I just got a special message from God. You're forgiven. That's not what this is about. No, not at all. A person has to express contrition. That is sorrow for sin. And that is something that is readily observable uh, in a person when they come into confession. Uh, and so, uh, but this also speaks about your authority as a priest. Absolutely, the priest is the one who ultimately makes the call yeah. on this. And of course, a lot of people don't like that. They, they, we live in a culture where we don't want to answer to anyone. <laughs> and uh, and so, the priest, of course, has the authority by the Holy Spirit given to him by Christ to forgive or to retain. And it's a real, it's a very real authority. And it's a, a very humbling authority. Oh, it is. Uh, uh, hearing confessions still, in a certain way, scares me to death. Father, may we have your blessing as we close. Absolutely. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, descend upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Father Bean, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Enjoyed it very much. Thank you. And I, those of you might be listening in Alabama, I'm actually going to be joining Father Bean this weekend. I'll be up at his parish in Gadsden, uh, giving a couple talks on Saturday about keeping our kids Catholic and in the heart of Jesus and Scripture. So, Father, I look forward to seeing you in a couple days. All the rest of you, thank you for joining us on this program. Again, as I've often said, please pray for EWTN, support EWTN, support our work. Go to chnetwork.org if you'd like to find out more about the apostolate that I'm involved with. It's always a pleasure to join you on this program. I pray that by grace, we can continually grow in our conversion towards Jesus Christ, our Lord. God bless. See you next week.